Good morning, church. It is good to see you here today. What a Sunday. What a Sunday we've had in the Lord. I can't wait to see what God's going to do and say in this very hour together. Hey, before I begin, though, let me just call your attention to two exciting events that just kind of can lead your steps this next week. On Wednesday, August the 1st, we finally get the keys to this space down in Fredericksburg. And uh, awesome stuff. And so Friday, this coming Friday, I know it might be hard for you that live here in Stafford County to go all the way down 95 on Friday, but at 7 p.m., we're going to meet down there for a prayer service and a worship service. It is time for us to mark this space and what God's going to do in the next chapter of Mount Ararat down in Fredericksburg. So I want to invite you to come to join our Fredericksburg campus down there, and let's give them some encouragement as we gather together. And then about two to three months later, we're going to renovate the space in the next two to three months, and then we're going to be active there, worshiping there soon as we can, okay? So just give you that information. The second announcement I want to give to you is if you are a senior adult, I love that our church is filled up multi-generational, don't you? I love that we're multi-generational. If you're a senior in our midst, a senior adult, or if you're a widow or a widower, I want to invite you to stick around a little longer next Sunday. As soon as service is over, the third service, we're going to go up to our chapel area and we're going to have a lunch together. Our deacons are going to be there. Uh, some of our staff's going to be there. And we just want to honor you and bless you in that time. And so if you would just tell us you're coming, we'd love to know so that we can make sure that we provide enough. Now, listen, I know how pride can get in the way. And some of you are like, I'm, I'm too young. I'm not really a senior. I'm not. Listen, it's free barbecue. Everybody wants to be a senior. Listen, Mission Barbecue, get in on that one. Don't be prideful and let us love on you in that way. And we'll share opportunities how we can just continue to be engaged as a family of God as we move ahead. So again, two kind of things for you uh, before we get started. Well, today, uh, man, this is fun. We're going to finish our Break the Routine series. And as we do, Mount Ararat, help me welcome back to the stage, Pastor D. Witten. Come on up, Pastor. Thank you, now listen, because of the way people move in, move out, you might not know this guy like I do, but Pastor D was the senior pastor here for 16 years. And I uh, came in 1987 and worked all the way through 2003. And, and what God did in that 16 years is phenomenal. The growth of this church has been marked because this man is a visionary leader. He led the church to buy property that we probably couldn't afford and to build a space that we couldn't afford. But we went from a church of about 400 in the chapel to moving into an environment where we could reach literally thousands. And so I can't thank you enough for his legacy and what he was able to do and what God did through him in his time here. And I'm just kind of personal on that side of what he did here because one of his many decisions that he made, he and his team decided to bring me here to be the youth pastor on that last year that he was serving here. And so that was probably your best decision, Pastor. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> but D, before we get into any questions today, welcome back. And I know I kind of funny say that because you kind of joined us about a year and a half, two years ago, you and Jane joined us, but because you're working at North Star and you oversee 160 churches and we're one of those, you're not here every week, but you're here a lot of weeks. You and Jane are here a lot of weeks, so it's always good to have you back. But today, would you catch us up? Because Mount Air, it's been a place where you raised your kids. I mean, your girls grew up in Stafford County, both graduated from North Stafford High School. They're now grown and have families of their own. Let us know what you and Jane are up to and even what your girls are up to these days. 
Well, Todd, let me just say that it's great to be back with y'all at Mount Ararat, and Jane and I enjoy visiting once a month or so as often as we can, Um, but I am so excited about how well Mount Ararat has been doing the last number of years. You're doing an awesome job leading this congregation, and it's just so exciting to me to see the church continue to reach new people for Christ in this community and continue to grow and develop and have a vision from God. So I'm thrilled every time I come. That's good. Thanks, Dean. And let me just share with you, Jane and I are doing fine. We're just getting a little bit older. Uh, we live up in Dumfries, and uh, that's I'm working in Northern Virginia, so that uh, kept me from having to commute, which uh, I tried commuting for a year, and that was terrible. So I need to apologize for all of you that have been in Mount Ararat for years. Uh, I didn't have enough empathy for you <laughs> commuting all those years, but i uh, just to bring you up to date on my daughters, Allison is my older daughter. I think uh, she might be on the screen on the right hand, on your right hand side. Uh, Allison is married to Chris Ashenhurst. The Ashenhurst family are very active leaders at uh, Mount Ararat. Even still, they've been here 25 years, probably more. And uh, Chris is in the Marine Corps, and they were stationed at 29 Palms in California. Now they just tra- got transferred to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So they're in Kansas City. Jane and I are going out there in about a week or so. They have three boys, Jake, Cole, and Chase. Our younger daughter, Julianne, on your left, is uh, married to Matt Paxson. He's one of the owners of MacDot Realty in uh, Fredericksburg. They have three kids, uh, Caleb, Nathan, and Hannah. And we finally got a girl for a grandchild. <laughs> And uh, we're excited about our grandkids, and we're all into grandparenting these days. That's good. Well, Dee, I was thinking about this. You served here 16 years as pastor, and now it's almost been 16 years since you've been gone from Mount Ararat. That's hard to believe. But you've, God's used you in a lot of different ways. You planted another church down in Fredericksburg, and most recently, you're leading an organization called North Star. What is North Star? Help somebody that maybe walked in today. They don't know what that is. North Star is an association of about 160 churches in Northern Virginia. It stretches from just north of Fredericksburg to D.C., out to Leesburg, and down to Warrington. So it's a pretty broad area. Out of those 160 churches, 60 of them are international congregations. They uh, speak in different languages. On Sunday morning, we have a very diverse group. They're all Baptist background. Mount Ararat's one of our great churches involved in North Star. And uh, our, our mission is to energize churches to carry out their God-given mission. So we come alongside churches and pastors and try to encourage them, resource them, and help them in any way we can so they can carry out the mission God has given to them. Uh, we try to focus on one project each year that bring all the churches together. A couple of years ago, we did the food fight at the Dulles Expo Center. Many of you participated in that. We got 13,000 volunteers on that weekend to package 5 million meals for starving children. 5 million meals feeds 14,000 children for an entire year. And thank you, all of you who participated in that a couple of years ago. This past year, we've been focusing on the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. How many of you have visited the Museum of the Bible? Very good. A good number of you have. But the ones that haven't, you've got to go down to the Museum of the Bible. It is an awesome museum museum. The whole focus is on the Bible. It costs about a billion dollars to build, and uh, uh, it's the most highly technological museum in the world. So you will be amazed and astounded when you go to the Museum of the Bible. But we partnered with them this past year, and now this, uh, this year we're right in the midst of a focus on the art of neighboring. Absolutely. And that kind of leads into why you're here today. Um, About a year and a half, two years ago, we stepped into this movement of let's just live the Bible out, you know, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And in that, we refreshed that again this month where we're asking people once again to love their neighbor. So tell us about this initiative and how you and 160 churches are trying to mobilize this effort. 
I am really excited about the Art of Neighboring and our effort to get 160 churches involved in the Art of Neighboring. And just to tell you how this got started, how this seed was planted in my heart, I had a meeting with a man by the name of Peter Remy's about three or four years ago when I first started North Star. And it's one of those meetings that changed the direction of my life, really. Peter Remy's, I didn't know him. He works for a, a nonprofit Christian organization called Apartment Life. I didn't know anything about Apartment Life. But what they do, Apartment Life goes into these high-rise apartments in urban areas like Northern Virginia and D.C., and they know that the, the, one of the main costs for the apartment owners are the transition times. When someone moves out, somebody else moves in, that costs them a lot of money. They, they also know that, uh, based on their research, that the main reason people move from one apartment to the other within the same city are not the reasons we would think, the reasons like get a better apartment or a cheaper apartment or closer to work or things like that. Those are important, but the main reason people move uh, to another apartment is because they don't know anybody where they live. They don't have any friends. They don't know their neighbors. They don't have any sense of community. There's nothing keeping them staying at the current place. And so the apartment life uh, leaders go to the apartment owners and say, hey, if you'll give us a free apartment, and these apartments are pretty high range apartments in urban areas, uh, if you'll give us a free apartment, we'll put a couple in that apartment that will greatly increase your retention rate. And they'll do that by building community among the people who live there. They'll have breakfasts and barbecues and coffee times and gatherings for the, the residents of the apartments. They'll get to know each other, and they'll end up staying longer, and it'll save you money. And they're honest. They say, hey, we're a Christian group. We're going to get some churches to partner with us to put on these barbecues and breakfasts and so forth. And, and somebody might, uh, one of these church members might invite one of your residents to come to church, or they might share their faith, but they're not going to do anything crazy to embarrass you or to embarrass us. Well, I tell you, it's working great. Uh, Peter Remy's and his wife started as the first ones in Old Town Alexandria about three or four years ago, and now there are 20 to 30 other couples in apartments in Northern Virginia, and it's working so well. The apartment owners not only are giving a free apartment, they're giving $600 a month so they can finance their breakfasts and barbecues and so forth. So I just, uh, when I was listening to this story by Peter Remy's, I was thinking, wow, that is an awesome ministry model, and why don't we as churches come up with those kind of models more often? But i tell you what I was really thinking, is that that is exactly what we need to be doing as churches anyway, not necessarily in apartment complexes, but in our own neighborhoods. If, if we could train our folks to go out in their own neighborhood and build a sense of community there and love their neighbors and get to know their neighbors, we could change the world That's for right. Jesus Christ. Right. And so we're very excited about pushing this, this art of neighboring. That's good. Matter of fact, if you and your worship guide were handed uh, this card that looks like this, why don't you get it out real quick just to, to help me see that you, you, have, you received that today. We gave this to you for four Sundays in a row, and now it's time for the test. Did we really trust what pastor's asking us to do? On this card, there's a home right in the middle, and there's eight boxes around it that are open and blank. And the goal was for you to simply meet your neighbors. And then once you met your neighbors to simply write their names down in those eight spaces because we wanted to be so specific, we wanted you to meet your eight closest neighbors. And it didn't matter if you lived in an apartment, it didn't matter if you live in a townhouse or even live in a subdivision or even three acre lots, you all have eight neighbors and we wanted to encourage you to take that step and to be that direct in that way. Then after you met them, all we ask you to do is just privately behind the scenes begin to pray for your neighbors by name. 
So who did this? Come on, who took that step? Help me out here today. And, and even if you're here for the very first time today, if you know at least one of your neighbors right now, stand up. Come on, whoever you are. If you know at least one neighbor, one neighbor. Now, if you don't even know one neighbor, we got counselors here at the front afterwards. We want to <laughs> we wanna help you. Not joking, a little bit joking. But all right, stay standing if you know at least two neighbors next to you, two names of neighbors next to you, two, all right? Stay standing if you're three, if you know three, if you know three, if you don't, go ahead and have a seat. That's all right. How about four? You know at least four neighbors, okay? More, more sitting down. How about five neighbors, okay? Ooh, okay, here we go. Six, okay, how about seven? All right, good. How about eight? You know all eight around you. Man, look at this. Listen, I thought about this, Pastor. I thought about giving the people that are standing up, know all eight, give them a gift card, but I was too cheap for that. I didn't do that. I was thinking, I want to encourage y'all to have a barbecue. Y'all know everybody. Invite them all over to have a barbecue. So you're rich. You can do this. Go ahead and do that in Jesus' name, right? Awesome, awesome. Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take one more step. Whether you knew one or whether you knew all eight, at the bottom of here is a website. Matter of fact, get your smartphone out right now. Go to that website. It's right there. It's northstarcnet.org. And on there, there's a tab that hits neighbors. What we're wanting you to do is to hit that tab and just simply take a few steps to say, I'll be a person that meets my neighbors. Now, I did this this week because I didn't want to ask you to do something I wasn't willing to do. All it asked me for was my email, and then it asked me for my zip code. It was pretty simple. And then in that, it gave me one follow-up email to say, here's some ideas of how you can love your neighbors well. And I thought, wow, that was, again, encouraging to me to say, I want to be, I want to be light in my neighborhood. And so when I think about that, Dee, what gets you excited about a vision? If you could get 160 churches to actually take this seriously, what could God do with that? What gets you excited about that? Well, I'm convinced that if we have 160 churches with tens of thousands of people in those churches, that we could literally change and transform Northern Virginia if we had enough of those folks that were committed to praying for their neighbors and really reaching out and loving their neighbors. You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart and then to love your neighbor. Well, maybe he was talking about your literal neighbor, and I think he was. So if we could reach out and love our neighbors, then we can change Northern Virginia. I don't know any better way we could impact Northern Virginia than doing this one simple thing. And, and all we're asking in North Star is two simple things, so as Todd mentioned, to learn the names of your eight neighbors and then pray for them on a regular basis. And pray that God will give you an opportunity to get to know them better and uh, ultimately have an opportunity to share your faith with them or invite them to church or something like that. And so we do need your physical address. If we get your physical address, we'll put a dot on the map close to where your physical address is, not listing your name or address or anything, but a dot on our digital map uh, showing that this is somebody in that neighborhood that's, that's committed to the art of neighboring. And, uh, uh, and then if we get your email address, we'll send you some regular updates on how many people are advancing in Northern Virginia and how many hundreds and thousands of people we have signed up to do this and we'll give you added resources and encouragement for doing the art of neighboring so get that information to us if you don't mind doing that and i just think we can change the world change northern virginia 
which will help change the world. Absolutely. Hey, Dee, we're in a series called Breakthrough Teen, and today I've got the last part of 1 John. Man, there's this hard part in it that says sins that lead to death and sins that don't lead to death. Could, could you just keep, could you preach that today so I don't have to preach that today? <laughs> That's why you're pastoring the church now. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Well, I don't you, have to do that. Would you at least pray for us today and pray for the art of neighboring in this I'll area? I'd be glad to. Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for letting us be a part of what you're doing in the world. And we know you're doing some awesome things in the world, even in Northern Virginia, Stafford County, Fredericksburg area. And Lord, we just pray that you'll use us to reach out to the people that live around us, the people that you planted around us or you planted us into their midst and help us to be faithful, to pray for them, to love them, to care for them, and uh, just to reach out to them with your love on a regular basis. And Lord, we just know that if we all do that, then we will transform this county, this area in Northern Virginia with your love and grace and mercy. Help us to be, just take the initiative and have the commitment to do that simple task, to love our neighbors. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, put your hands together one more time for Pastor D. Hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5, as I alluded to already. It's funny to me because here we spent the summer breaking routines, and if you come back next week, we're going to start building routines. Uh, we're going to build the routine of finding rest. Come on. Uh, this idea of living here in Northern Virginia, how do we put the first things first and how do we live life in a way that's life giving to our lives, our families and moving forward. So next week we begin a series called Living on Empty. And so maybe that's going to be a timely message for you and hope that you'll come back. Hey, as we encourage you to read the Bible, I know many of you made a commitment to reading through the Gospel of John as we were working through this series. I want to give you another book to read. This time we're going to go back to the Old Testament and I would encourage encourage you to begin reading the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus. Now it's a narrative, so it's going to feel like a story when you read it. And I think that it might be, again, insightful for you to help you understand this next series that we're going to talk about. Exodus actually has 40 chapters. So you got to read about 10 chapters a week to get through it in four weeks. But I actually will give you daily readings as I do on every worship guide to give you a little part to read to prepare for next Sunday. But I just kind of give you that push because there is no greater spiritual tool in your life to help you grow in your faith than reading God's word every single day. That's the one thing that can change everything. So I want to keep challenging you to read the word of God, to read the word of God, because it'll, it'll, it'll make a difference. All right. Now today, as we pick back up, we're going to kind of conclude John's words. And man, has this been a good summer to you? I know for me, man, this has been challenging, but so encouraging listening in to John the disciple, now as an older man, writing these words to these churches in this place of Ephesus. Listen to this last part here, beginning in verse 13. In his closing words, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. This last nine verses is what we call an epilogue. The epilogue is going to serve two purposes. Number one, to review all the things that he said all the way through the letter. 
And number two, to encourage these listeners to now put these words into action. You see, it's one thing to say them, but you now want people to actually live them. And so John gives us this epilogue where he's going to review it all and he's going to send them out with a challenge and a charge. Now, what I love about this, this word is through the, the scriptures that what we've been reading, he always calls these people dear children. Dear children, dear children, because he's much older now and he sees believers in Christ as part of his family. And he sees his role of being like a spiritual father in their life. And yet, as he's writing to these believers, I want you to see a word that he uses multiple times in his epilogue. And it's this word. It's the word, no. I want you to know. 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 Do you know that in these last eight verses, he uses that word no seven times? Come on, seven's a pretty good number in the Bible. Would you agree? Seven times, I think he wants us to know something here, right? And it's the Greek word ido, which means to perceive with the senses, and it means to understand. You see, he's been sharing some encouragement here, and he wants them to finish it by knowing what he's actually spoken over them. Now, this idea of knowing it is, is a, great part, a good place to start because I want us to see what this means for us. And again, let me just share with you again a little bit about John the disciple. When John the disciple was on earth, he was one of the 12 that lived with Jesus personally for three years. Out of those three years, he ends up seeing Jesus crucified on a cross and all the others he sees them martyred for their faith outside of Judas who hung himself. And so this guy's now outlived all the other disciples and John has given us several books in the Bible. Now we've been looking at 1 John and if we looked at 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, that's letters that he wrote to who? Come on, who did he write these letters to? To Christians. He wrote them to believers. He wanted these believers to understand that he wanted to say something to them. But earlier, his first book that he wrote, he wrote the Gospel of John. But John, the Gospel of John, was written to unbelievers. He wrote about his experience of watching the life of Jesus because he wanted them to read this and he wanted them to understand that Jesus is who he said he is and he wanted these unbelievers to put their faith and trust in Jesus Matter of fact, there's one verse in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verse 31, where he actually reveals this kind of tension in the story. He says this, these are the words written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Come on, what's his motive with this book? He wants people to believe in Jesus. Now, when I thought about this series and I thought about this chapter this week, I thought about who's gonna be with us here on this Sunday. Who's gonna be at Fredericksburg? Who's gonna be watching online? And here's what I knew. I knew that we had such a powerful week at Windshape that these kids were so engaged that some of these kids woke up today and said, mom, dad, please take me to church, right? 
And I also knew that some people that would come along with their kids today might be sitting right here with us today and say, ooh, pastor, I'm not much of a churchgoer. I, I don't really believe yet. But yeah, my kids want to come and we're here. And I thought, man, of all passages, oh my word, they're coming here on 1 John chapter 5. And I'm thinking about the person that finally got the courage to invite their friend and they're cringing because they're going, oh, where's this passage going to go today? Oh, of all sermons. Come on, pastor, don't mess this one up today. Pastor, don't lay an egg today, right? I mean, you're like, get it right, right? But then I thought about the, the, the power of these words that what we're going to read today for many of you that are walking with Jesus, this is going to be an affirming word to you today because you're going to be like, yes. But for others of you that are Christians that maybe aren't walking as close as you need to be with Jesus, you're going to be convicted today and you're going to go, man, how did I get this far away? And you're going to have to do something with what you've just heard today. And then I think about the person that says, honestly, I'm not a believer. Well, today, today could be an invitation to you. There could be a real reason why you're here today. It's so that God could love you with his truth. Now, let me just get real personal with you. I didn't grow up going to church. My family weren't church people at all. And I love that Dee and I were talking today about the neighboring part because the whole reason I'm here is because my neighbors walked across the street and began to invite me to come with them to their local church. And through that relationship and that trust and through that invitation, I started going to church with them. And by going to church with them, guess what? I hear the good news how God loves me and wants a relationship with me. It's in this power of this, this decision. I, at age 14, I, I turned to God and said, I need Jesus in my life. And I became a Christian at age 14. And it was all because my neighbors initiated with me and invited me to come. Now, I, I became a Christian in 1984. Come on, any 80s kids out there? 80s kids, come on. Y'all still got the pictures to prove it, right? Yeah, 80s, 80s, right? And I thought about the 80s because how we did church back then was interesting. It was definitely interesting. You see, we're going to talk about knowing something here. So let me just show you this about knowing something here. Put that back up there, that, that to know. Um, to understand what we're talking about here, I want you to see that, that today when we read these verses, there's something that I already know about you, is that we all have an earthly Life, Come on, y'all know that, right? You're here. But not only that, he's trying to show us that we also have uh, an eternal life. And this is important too. Now, sometimes we don't recognize this perspective. Sometimes we don't talk a lot about this perspective, but it's a reality here. Today, if you're a Christian, you know what I know about you? You've got an earthly life and you've got an eternal life. Come on, do you believe that today? Yeah. And if you're here today and you don't believe, I already know something about you too. I'm not trying to be uncomfortable here with you, but I know this about you. You've got an earthly life and you also have an eternal life. You do. That's something about all of us. But there's something in this today that I want you to lean in a little bit more. I grew up in the 80s and it, it was nothing to hear my, my youth pastor or maybe my senior pastor or even my camp pastor or an evangelist come to town and they would preach these messages and at the end they would lead to a point and they would lead to a chance for people to begin a relationship with Jesus. It's called an invitation and they would do this at the end of services, right? And if you're in the 80s, Come on, can't you just picture the pastor at the pulpit and at the very end, he would ask this question. If you died tonight, where would you spend 
eternity. How many of y'all remember that question? Come on. Yeah, there's a lot of us that can go back and we remember being asked that question. And if you think about it, man, that's kind of like a sharp question. That's like a heavy question. That's like a morbid question. If you died tonight, where would you spend eternity? But the tension of it is this. That preacher wanted you to know that your earthly life, this isn't your only life. He wanted you to look up from your earthly life and see not only do you have an earthly life, you also have a spiritual life. And what he's trying to challenge you in is a decision you're going to make in your earthly story will affect your eternal story. And he wanted us to get that in our, in our attention. You know why I say it that way? Because I kind of see something here. John's doing the exact same thing right here. He's wanting us to see that we have an earthly life and an eternal life, and he's wanting to speak some things to them. Now, I titled today's message, uh, Vacay. Come on, Vacay. Come on, say it with me. That's like a vernacular slang of saying vacation. Y'all didn't know that, right? You're not as cool as me, right? But vacay is this idea of going on vacation. How many of y'all have already got a chance to go on vacation this summer already? Come on. Yeah, all the happy people put their hands in the air. How many of you have not gotten to go on vacation? Yeah, I haven't either. Yeah, I'm with you, right? There's something about vacation that kind of lifts you, right? And so I thought about this. Sometimes when you plan a real expensive vacation, how many of you have ever bought traveler's insurance? right? Anybody? Where you're like, I got to protect myself because if something happens between me now and then, I want to make sure that trip's covered, right? Or if something happens on that trip, I want to make sure there's some protection. And in fact, there's a young couple that I've recently talked to. They said traveler's insurance literally saved them. What do they mean by that? They went internationally and they went with their young child and their daughter got sick overseas. And they had to spend about a week in the hospital with her. And they said, we would have been ruined for life in our marriage if we didn't have traveler's insurance, but it paid for everything while we were away. So there's something about insurance. Can we just go there? Well, I say it that way, and I titled this message this way because this last epilogue, John's trying to not give us insurance. He's trying to give us some assurance about our earthly life and about our eternal life. Are you ready to go there with me today? So here's what he says. In the book of John also, he records a part where John records Jesus saying this about our eternal life. It said that Jesus said, I give eternal life and they shall never perish. No one, I love this part, no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's what Jesus says. He says, my father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my father's hands. And so the John is for the believer to read that and understand what God wants to be. And then here we are with John writing this letter to 1 John, writing to Christians, trying to help to affirm them with eternal life. I'm going to give you two things to write down today. The first thing is this. Write this down. In Jesus, in a relationship with Jesus, your eternal life is certain and secure. Come on. Isn't that good news? In Jesus, your eternal life is certain and secure. Both campuses, read this out loud with me because I want this to go from your head to your heart. Here we go. In Jesus, your eternal life is certain and secure. It is. And. It is. And. Who believes that today? Come on, isn't that good news today? Isn't that worth celebrating today? That, that in Jesus, come on, good news. I don't have to wonder where I'm going to spend eternity. I already know I'm going to be with him, right? It is certain 
and it is secure. When I begin to live with that kind of perspective, oh man, it changes everything. It gives you a whole new boldness, a whole new confidence of knowing whose we are. But I thought about this idea of security and let me just kind of push here for a minute. Let me take it to your world and my world where we can relate a little bit. I want you to imagine that you've been in a human relationship. Let's just go there. How about a dating relationship? Some of you are going to think way back. A dating relationship where that relationship was insecure on your half. Anybody been in a relationship that was insecure on your half? Come on. Where you, you felt something, you thought something, you loved someone, and you really were for them, but you kind of felt like maybe they didn't feel the same way about you. Come on, hello, you been there? Some of you are like, this isn't fictional, Pastor. This is like my life today right now, Pastor, right? Or somebody's here today and they're going, this is my marriage right now, and it's a lot more painful, right? Because there's a lot more stakes involved where maybe your commitment of love is greater than the other person's. And what does that do? It creates what? An insecurity. You ever been there? And you know what often happens when you're living in an insecure relationship? Two extremes could happen. Either you want to win them so bad that you go overboard to show your love and to show your love so overboard that you even come borderline stalkerish, right? To try to say, I can just show them that they want to love me. I'll show, I'll prove to them. And they're like, whoa, right? Because it's a little too much. You ever been there? Or the other extreme is because we're afraid they're going to reject us. What do you do? You just pull way back, right? And you kind of protect yourself because if they're going to reject me, I want to be ready for it before it actually happens. Isn't that what happens in a human relationship when we're insecure? Can I tell you, though, in the spiritual relationship that it's found in Jesus God doesn't want us to live with insecurity with him. He wants us to be what? Certain and secure. Come on, that's good news today. He wants us to know that we can count on something in our relationship with him. And so here he is, not just giving us assurance about eternity one day. Look at verse 14. He's going to tell us even more about what we can be secure in. Look at this. He says, this is confidence. The confidence that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that God hears us, whatever we ask, we know. And we know that we have what we ask of him. You see, this confidence is all about prayer. I love it. As a Christian, it's about a relationship. Every other religion is going to say, I'm going to tell you what to do. And they're never going to give you assurance of heaven. Yet Jesus is God's gift to us that God says, I love you so much. I sent my own son, Jesus. Why? Because this is all about a relationship. And I want you to have complete assurance of what's going to happen next. God has given us something good here, but it's not just up in heaven one day. It's even right here now on earth. It's about praying and believing that God is a God who hears. That's a good verse right there. God hears us. Is that getting anybody excited today? And the idea of praying, I kind of equate it like this. Just like we breathe in and breathe out. Just like air in our body keeps us physically alive, I think what keeps us spiritually alive is praying, talking listening and connecting with God. Isn't this true? 
God says, when we take our needs to him, when we pray, right, he will give us what we ask. Now, some of y'all light up on that one, and already you're kind of, some of y'all getting a little selfish going, man, that's what I'm all about. I'm going to ask, and I'm going to receive, right? Some of you right now, come on, you prayed hard this week. Why? Because the lottery hadn't been that high in a long time. Come on, some of you prayed, God, if you would just let me win, I promise I'll give to Mount Air. I promise, right? And we'll take it. I tell you that. We'll take it. But no, listen to me. You, you pray, but listen, but the, the hinge of that prayer is to pray God's will, right? To pray God's heart. But you got to know what God's will is so you know how to pray God's will. It's about knowing, right? It's about knowing. It's about relating. It's about connecting. I love this. You see, sometimes we think God is this cold, distant God, right? Angry, not wanting to do anything for us. I love what George Mueller once said. He said this about prayer. He said, prayer is not overcoming God's reluctance. No, it's laying hold of God's willingness. Can I tell you, you got a God that loves you and wants to hear from you. He wants you to trust him. He wants you to share your needs with him. He wants you to believe in him. And I promise you, you start to talk with him and pray with him and connect with him. He's going to answer some things in your life that you've been longing for a long time. This is assurance of what God wants to give. And John wants them to be reminded of this theme of prayer. You see, in Jesus, we have an eternal relationship with God. Now, here's what I know about our enemy. Our enemy doesn't want us to stay close to God. So he's going to do anything he can to mess us up. And our enemy knows he can't touch our eternity. Once we give our lives to Christ, he can't touch that in us, right? I love what Clayton King, the evangelist and our friend once said in his book, Overcome. He says, the devil knows he cannot touch our eternal life. So what will he do? He'll mess with what? <laughs> our abundant life, right? Our earthly life. That's what he comes after so that he can discourage us. John also recorded that Jesus once said that the thief, the enemy, comes to what? To steal and to kill and to destroy the very things God wants to grow and build in our lives, right? He comes to take away from us. But good news is, what does God come to do? He comes to give us life and that we may have it to the full, that we may have abundant life. That's what Jesus comes to give us in our earthly life. And too often we miss it, right? Because we're living all spun up and all insecure about what we don't have. So I'll say it to you again. Come on, say it back to me. In Jesus, in Jesus, and our eternity is certain and secure, right? Let me give you a second thought to write down. Write this down. We're going to land the plane here today. In Jesus, your earthly life is what? Secure, even though your earthly life is uncertain. Isn't that the hard part? But isn't this the true part? Come on, think about this one. This right here, when we wrap our hearts around this and begin to hear what John is actually saying here, this is so powerful for us. That in a relationship with me, God says, in your earthly life, you will be secure because you know that I will never leave you or forsake you. I'm with you and I'm for you and I love you, right? But guess what? Life in this world is uncertain. Come on, some of y'all don't, don't need convincing there, do you? Does anybody need any convincing here? Sure you don't. And I think about what's happening right here in this room with some lives in this room right here, and even maybe at Fredericksburg today. We know 
life in this world is uncertain. And yet there's something hopeful when we begin to see what God wants for us. But too often, the enemy doesn't, knows he can't touch our eternal life, so he comes after our earthly life, our abundant life. Listen to what the word says here. This is where the passage gets really hard. Verse 16. He says, hey, hey, if you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death because there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. Come on, sin that leads to death, sin that doesn't lead to death. Come on, Pastor D, where are you at? I need your help today. Help a brother out today. This right here is hard. This is a hard part of the passage. But the more I lean into it, I thought about how there's denominations that will take this very chapter right here, these verses right here, and they'll do some teaching from this. Maybe you grew up in a tradition in another denomination that talked about cardinal sins. You ever heard of this? Seven deadly sins, right? And it's as if there's a certain list of sins that are unforgivable. But when I look at the whole counsel of Scripture, is there sins that are unforgivable? And yet you have this passage and you're like, how do I, how, how do I make sense of this? Is there a line I can cross? And God says, okay, you went too far. Can't love you anymore. Can't forgive you anymore. Is that possible? Is there an unforgivable sin? And so when I listen to what John's doing here in this concluding word, I'm thinking, whoa, this right here. I mean, obviously, obviously I know what people are teaching when they say that because we see that sins have a different impact, right? Sins have a different earthly consequence. There are some sins that you do and yeah, you get a consequence but it's no big deal. There's some sins you do and there is a huge consequence. And so that's maybe what we're pushing against. But, but in an earthly sense, the sins can be different. But in a spiritual sense, is any sin really different? If sin separates us from God, if you really think about it, all sins have the same effect on our relationship with him no matter how big or small the consequence on earth is. I want you to see that. I want you to kind of feel the tension of that. Because when I began to look at this and began to see this, I had to come back to the context of what is this story all about? So here we go. Let's do this. Come on. Sins that doesn't lead to death and sin that leads to death. Now, sin that leads to death. Come on, any married people in the room? Here it is. Sin that leads to death. Talk to your spouse about fitness or food. Now, that's a joke. That's a joke. But I've stepped into that one. Anybody stepped into that one before? But listen, that's not what we're talking about. Okay, let's ask the context here. Who is First John written to? Come on, who did John write to? Come on, who is it? Christians. So let's just think about this for a second. Once we surrender our life to Christ, and we didn't earn it or deserve it, but we received the gift of salvation, we're going to still struggle with sin because we live here in the earth, right? I'll say it this way again, like I've said it the last three Sundays. Just because you're in Jesus doesn't mean you're gonna be sinless. It just means the longer I walk with Jesus, I ought to sin less, right? Christians, when we sin, it still hurts God's heart 
we sin, it still hurts our relationship on earth with God. But our eternity, come on, our eternity is certain and secure. Do you know that the death he's talking about here is a spiritual one? So sin that doesn't lead to death, who's he talking to? Come on. Christians, we'll call them what? Believers, come on, believers, believers, any believers in the room? Come on, you with me? Come on, it's not too late to say sorry, right? Are y'all with me, y'all with me? Are y'all with me today? He's writing to believers here. Listen, as a Christian, I don't wanna be broken with God on earth, but guess what? I can't be broken with God eternally. Are you with me yet? So sin that leads to death is someone who what? Doesn't have a relationship with who? Jesus, so what this is, is what? Are you with me? Again, tough passage, I get it. But we gotta see this, we gotta begin to own this. We gotta begin to know this. Come on, Christians, we can choose sin, but if we're in life with Christ, why? Why do we wanna turn away from the best in our life? Why would we wanna turn away from the one who has the best for us in this world? Yet we do it, don't we? And yet we watch others do it too. When I started thinking about this passage and about how heavy it is, listen, as a Christian though, I don't have to question my eternity even when I mess up. No, why do I not question it? Because in chapter one of 1 John says, Jesus is my advocate, Jesus is my atonement. Come on, I'm not mine anymore. One day when I give up my last breath, guess what? Jesus is gonna be there to defend my case to get me into eternity. There's something to be said for that. But I can lose my security in a relationship with God if I choose to let the power of sin lead my life versus the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that say something to someone today? Or let's just kind of do it this way. When we look at this letter right here today, when we see the application that John gives, what is the application that he's giving here? Because the challenge here is, is now for a Christian to see another brother and sister that's what? Gotten off the path and now we're responsible to, 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 first of all, to do what? What does the Bible say to do? When you see that person off the path, what are we supposed to do? First of all, we're supposed to pray. That was the word said, if you read it a minute ago. We're supposed to pray. And then not in this passage, but in other passages, it says we're supposed to now go to them and to try to what? To get them to restore back with God, to get back on the right track. Now, do you know how hard this is to do in modern day times that we find ourselves in? Listen, we live in a culture that's like, you take care of you, I take care of me, and we just won't point out anything for anybody else, right? Yet the church is supposed to be different than the world. And we're supposed to care about one another in a deep abiding way that when I see a brother and sister off the path, I'm, what? I'm supposed to pray for them. And then I'm supposed to what? Go to them and to try to get them back to the Lord, right? But you know what happens most of the time? If I were to go to someone and to let the light of God's word shine on their life and say, hey, brother, sister, hey, come on, you're doing wrong. You know what they're probably gonna do? They're gonna look at me and they're gonna get mad at me. And what are they gonna say? Get out of my face. You, you can't what? You can't what? judge me, right? And that's why we got to be able to be, have enough courage to go to a brother and sister and say, hey, listen, you're in the wrong. But listen, I'm not the one telling you you're wrong. That's God's word showing you that. But you know, we don't like to be uncomfortable. 
So we're, we don't have enough courage to do that. You know what I find fascinating? You know what we usually do? And even in this church, hey, did you hear what so-and-so's doing? Can you believe that? Oh, my word. I mean, we could talk to somebody else about it, can't we? And then we might even cloak it with, man, bless their heart. We ought to pray for that. We ought to pray for them, right? And instead of really caring about them, we get caught up in what? Gossip. By the way, that's called sin. So instead of helping our brother and sister get out of sin, we come over here and we talk about it and we join the sin, right? And yet God says through John, come on, church. You are filled with life in Christ. Your eternity is certain and secure. Guess what? Now you're supposed to live here on earth with that same kind of security in your walk with God. And he even goes on to say this in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Hey, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you live by the Spirit. That's what you're controlled by. You live by the Spirit. You ought to restore that person gently. Don't forget the gently part, right? Don't forget the gently part. And then he goes on to say, but be careful. It's tricky. Be careful that you don't get too involved where you start to fall into that same sin also. This is what it calls to be a community of faith is when a Christian's willing to have the courage to go and to restore. But I'll be honest with you, as a pastor of a church like Mount Ararat, my struggle is, is sometimes when I struggle with sin and sometimes when I see you struggling with sin, and we're not willing to point it out in one another. I think about we're supposed to be people that are filled with life, supposed to be walking in the spirit. And somewhere along the way, we go from a Sunday of saying, yes, Lord, we're singing, yes, Lord. And then we come over here with the decision we gotta make. We come over here with the behavior that we know is not lining up with the word. We come over here with a relationship that's very risky, that has no business in our life. And we come over here and we say, God, be Lord over there, but let me do whatever I want to over here. Because we like what sin does for us, at least in the initial, we just don't want the consequence that sin brings. So can I just do it this way where I got one step over here with God and one step over here doing what I want to do? And can I just kind of dance in the middle? And guess what that does? It leads you to a very insecure relationship with God here on earth. And it leads you to miss the very power that could be ours, the very confidence that we could have in being in a relationship with Jesus. Come on, is this ministering to anybody today? Again, this word could be affirming, this word can be convicting, or this word could be an invitation today. What is God saying to you? Are you willing to receive it, and are you willing to do something with it right now in this moment? But as I press a little harder here, you may say, well, Pastor, that was a good tap dance. You didn't answer it. Is there any unforgivable sin? Well, the Bible does talk about one sin. It's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Do y'all know what that is? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when we make a deliberate, continual, willful rejection of God, of Jesus, and the truth that the good news brings. We keep saying no, 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 no. If we die with our decision being no against God, that's the unforgivable sin. And we find ourselves in an eternity without God. Does that make sense today? 
to me, when I think about what God wants for us, how easy it is even for us Christians to fall trap into looking at something lesser in our life to try to define us and to try to save us. And we say, yes, Lord, but then we look to our career to try to save us. We try to hold up our morality to actually represent us. We look to money and power. We look to needing approval from everybody else around us. And we even look to pleasuring ourselves, thinking that that's going to save our lives and save our days on earth when all it does is bring consequences and conflict. And God says, I have so much more for you. And John says, I want you to know, come on, I want you to know, I want you to know, I want you to know. Let's just read these last few verses right here, verse 18. That we may know, that we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. That the one who was born of God keeps them safe. And this evil one cannot harm them. No, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is still under the control of the evil one. And we know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know. Now, in all six of these other words is the word ido. This word is no in the English language, but it's a different Greek word. It's gnosko. And it, it actually is like a future tense of hope of what we want, that we may know him who is true. I think this is for the believer in the room that is now not walking with Christ. God's got a word for you that you may know that Jesus is the true one. And if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, that today could be the day that you may know Jesus to be the true one and that we are in him who is true by being in the son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And then he says, dear children, keep yourselves from idols. And he drops the mic, boom. And I'm thinking, John, 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 that sentence alone could preach lots of sermons. But you know what it is? If we put anything in God's place, it becomes an idol. And there's only one seat Jesus wants to sit in in your life and my life. And here it is. It's Lord. It's Lord. God's word speaking today, isn't it? So what do we do with it? What do we do with it? I'm gonna ask our worship team to come back out. And even as they come back out, I realize the tension of the story because life in this world is uncertain. As I shared a moment ago, you and I don't need a lot of convincing, but we live in a world, an earthly life that's filled with what? Sorrow, sickness, disease, cancer, death. We live in a world where people can make decisions to be evil against other people. We live in a world that's filled with lots of uncertainty. I'm thinking about the family that lost a child. I'm thinking about the friend that has a friend that's her age, been told she's got about three or four weeks to live in this room. I'm thinking about marriages that are on the brink, marriages that are already over. I'm thinking about the aloneness of a single person, a single dad, a single mom, not getting to be with their kids 24-7, but they have to share that custody, right? 
We live in a world that's uncertain, yet Jesus wants us to know that we can be secure, that we can be secure in him if we'll just keep trusting, if we'll just keep believing. Come on, church. Let's not miss what God's trying to tell us today. We got to live with the perspective of heaven, but we got to bring that perspective down here as we live here on earth. Today, God is speaking to all of us. The question is, what do we do with what we've just heard? What do we do with what we've just heard? Apostle Paul gives us some words that kind of summate this message of John. Let's just kind of go there together. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, For all have sinned, all of us. That's you, that's me, that's pastor included. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's what this is. It's a Roman road. That's what people say. It's the Roman road. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is what? It's death. Physical death, spiritual death, right? The wages of my sin leads me only to one place. Good news, come on. But the gift of God is what? Come on, this is so good. It's eternal life. And it's not in religion. It's not in you being good enough. It's in Jesus Christ, right? As our Lord. That's what he wants to sit in your heart and mind. So how do we get it? How do we receive it? Romans 10 says this, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, it says that you will be saved. Isn't that powerful? For it's with your heart you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Man, I'm telling you what, when God calls me to restore people, I'm so glad I'm not the judge. I'm so glad I'm not God. Anybody with me there? But I love God in the way that he loves us. Today, I want you, I want you to walk out of here knowing some things about your life. I want you today to walk out of here being certain and being secure about your day one day in eternity. But I also want you to have that same security right here and now. But the way that happens is through us continuing to trust God, to surrender to God. Man, I'm glad I came to church today. Are you with me? It's been strong, but it's been straight. It's been clear. We don't have to be confused. We don't have to wonder. God wants something for us. And today, what are we willing to trust with Him? So let's do business with God right now. Come on, bow your heads, both campuses. And as you bow your heads right now in this moment, I want you to know that you can be a part of Team Jesus I want you to know that you can walk out of here today and know completely that you have been forgiven and that you are loved by God and God's got plans and they're good plans for your life. But Christian in the room today, if you're holding on to sin, then you're letting that sin rule your life. And I'm here to tell you today that sin doesn't rule your life. Man, I, I read Romans 6 in the last two services and in Romans 6, it says some truths about us that we just need to pay attention to. It says, do I want to keep on sinning so that grace can increase? He says, by no means do I want to live like that. No way do I want to live like that. No, I want to live in a way where I know I'm forgiven. I don't want to live in a way where sin is ruling over my heart. 
That old self's been crucified. That old body that's ruled by sin, it's done away with. Should I no longer be a slave to sin? Because anyone who died has been set free. That's what I want my life to be marked by that the death that Jesus died, he died for sin once and for all, so that the life that he lives, he lives for God. Will you count yourselves in on that? Christian today, what do you need to let go of? Christian today, what do you need to confess and turn away from? It's time to come back into the secure arms of Jesus Christ. Father, I believe today you're reaching out to that one that's gonna begin a relationship today with you. And the question they need to answer is this. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? God, if that answer is not certain and secure, then today is the day, right now is the moment to nail that down. And God, you've given us the way. It's through confessing, it's through believing that we can receive. And so right now in faith, I'm gonna ask you today, do you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus? Then right there where you're seated, to here at our Fredericksburg campus or online, I want you to simply talk to God. Come on, that's what prayer is. Say, God, tell him that, God, you are speaking to me. Today I hear you. I confess Jesus to be your, to be my Lord. Come on, tell him that. I confess Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. I believe in my heart you raised him from the dead. I need him to save me. Please forgive my sin. Take away my mistakes and help me now to live for you. God, I am yours. Thank you for saving me. Wow. God, thank you so much for confession. Thank you so much for belief. Today, God, I just believe somebody just prayed with me and today is beginning a relationship with you. God, I want to encourage them, but I can't if I don't know who they are. Right here today, before we walk out of this room or at Fredericksburg, in faith, you just put your faith in Jesus. Now put your faith in one more thing. Put it in our church by raising your hand right now if today you just gave your life to Christ. Come on, raise your hand up. Say, Pastor, that was me. Pastor, that was me. With your hand in the air, hold it up, hold it up, hold it up and keep it up till we get to you. Once we get to you, we're gonna give you a box and you can put your hand back down. Anybody else, praise God. Anybody else? Father, I'm so amazed every time when you save another soul for you. God, today, their eternity is certain and secure. God, today, Their life in Jesus is secure, even though this world is uncertain. Lead us now in the grace and mercy of your faith. We love you today, God. May we live for you this next seven days. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. Come on, stand up today. I'm gonna ask Susan to come out and give us a closing word. I love you, church. Take these words, plant them in your heart, live them out this week. Next week, we're gonna be in a brand new series. I can't wait to share that word with you next week.